Hi everyone and welcome to Opera Omnia episode number 7 of season 1. This is a podcast that exclusively looks season by season at a director's filmography with each season having a resident guest host who will join me on the journey. Now this is the final movie but not the final episode of season number one. The final movie being Happy New Year, Colin Bernstead. The final movie in the Ben Wheatley catalogue. A catalogue which no doubt will continue to have an output as we move out of the crazy times we're now in and things get back to normal on film sets. Joining me for what will be his second to last appearance but his final movie review of season one is the man who has taken this journey with me who has been an incredible joy, very, very easy to work with, and has brought his A-game on every single episode. He is a, a man that I would now say is a dear, close friend of mine, um, and someone that will be missed uh, when we wrap up this season proper. He is one half of the What's He Horror Party podcast, and he, he does some other things. He'll tell you about them in the fullness of time. He's, of course, a phenomenal Mr. Watson. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Duncan. I'm well, man. It is, it is, it is bittersweet, my friend. Parting is Ooh. such sweet sorrow. But in, in any case, man, this, this first season of Opera Omnia, I couldn't be happier to be alongside you to relaunch this show back out there into the ether. Because I know you had done your, you know, iteration of it before, and you know this is never the finished it. Yeah, yeah, never finished that first yep. season. It just kind of fizzled away, which is a shame yep. because I really want to go back one day and like finish the discussion on Michael Mann, who has a fucking incredible career. But, yeah, uh, indeed. Yeah. You've set the benchmark so high, by the way. I, like, the, the benchmark for season one has been set so high by you that <laughs> um, if I was anyone else after this, I would be a bit intimidated. <laughs> so. Ah, uh, well. Just saying. <laughs> your, your, your next co-host is, uh, I rather like that guy. He's got a really interesting mm. band. And I, I was actually a fan of his band first before I Whoa. was aware of his podcast because he had done a podcast appearance with our old buddy Paul Stevenson on the Who Will Survive Horror podcast, and they played some of mm-hmm. his music. And I was like, this is rad. This guy's funny and interesting. And then, you know, then they dropped the names of his shows, and I, I, I don't think I remembered the names of the shows, listened to his band a little bit with my son, and then came to listen to one of his shows just by chance because, you know, you actually play a lot of the promos for him yeah. and on, yep. you know, different episodes of the of the Teapots, you know, shows and whatnot. And then I listened to some of the shows and realized, oh, okay, this is the same guy. And I actually, and you, you can ask about this, he probably has no idea who I am to some degree, but except for that we run in some of the same circles, but... As it pertains to your that your 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 person who is going to be joining you for season two of Opera Omnia once I pass mm-hmm. away, I did I did Facebook message him one time or it was a maybe a comment on his page. Aren't you the guy from Gyro Jets? And he just was like, "That is the first time anybody's ever said that to me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Richard Glenn Smith is joining me, and me yes. and Richard have a, a weird history in that I don't know when I became aware of him um and we've done a couple of things in the past and he is a, a like a, a to say a pure joy to record with is maybe an understatement in that yeah like when you start a conversation with richard you never know where it's going to go um and i picked a director very much like i strategically picked ben wheatley and then yourself 
mm-hmm. to tackle it because I thought you would get a lot out of the conversations. I picked a director who works in a circle in Peter Strickland uh, who does nice. stuff that particularly um, evokes or pays direct homage to the era of cinema and the directors of cinema that Richard is in love with. So I, I'm looking forward to that. But before we jump ahead to a brand new season, <laughs> sure, Mr. Sure. Watson, uh, we still we still have some business, or as the kids like to say, be snatch um, to do over. Oh. I don't know if they do say that, but let's, let's, let's roll with it. It sounded hip and with it. And those are words that I'm never being used to describe me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we have we have we have one more tale of, of I was going to say weekly terror, but it's not really terror unless nope. you like uncomfortable well, unless you're scared by uncomfortable family get-togethers. Um, we have really went the the kind of I, I did say that the collection of movies are weirdly bookended, and that you start Wheatley's work as it currently stands anyway his body of work with a kind of family drama and we finish with a family drama and everything in between has been a combination of serial killers uh, paganistic hitmen uh, there's been a bit of uh, social and political unrest um, and there's been a good old fashioned shoot em up or two and psychedelics taken in a, a giant open field so we've went <laughs> through this like massive gambit of strange and wonderful cinema only to come back to uh, something which I think at times is maybe overlooked at how how the dynamics and um, specifically how tense and upsetting things like family get-togethers can be. Sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> like some of the most stressful things I've ever been involved with in my entire life have been involved with, you know, having to sit down and play nice with family members that I'd, I'd, I'd rather be doing anything other than spending time with mm-hmm. um, and the dynamics that kind of fall out from that so it's interesting he's ended up there the thing I wanted to ask you before we jump in and start doing what we do on this show uh, and I would just say do well on this show um, fuck yeah is, <laughs> is when it comes to and this is maybe a more a conversation which will lead into the actual review but I wanted to kind of nail this down is the representation of dysfunctional families portrayed in a Ben Wheatley British sort of a dark comedy indicative of a family dynamics in America? Because like I like families are, I always think that families are different, like country to country. It's probably not. We're probably all very much the same sort of thing. But you know, like when you see. Like a family like this, where you know the, the mother's like kind of. I'm not asking you to say if this is your family, by the way. Just stressing that. <laughs> uh, but you know, if you're aware of similar scenarios where the mother's like a, a, a drama queen, the, the sister is basically throwing pipe bombs at the family here uh, just to see what will happen uh, with the best of intentions, but not seeing how much damage she's causing. There's one family member who's like the alpha. Like the big brother who's just going to take over. Do, do those sort of things translate well to like a, from an American perspective to an American audience? Did anything in this movie basically be like, well, that wouldn't happen over here? So, <laughs> sure. You know, when when I watched this film, and before we get into our overall thoughts of the movie mm. itself, as far as the family dynamic itself is concerned, there are, gosh, more than a fair share of universal 
personality traits that do come through when you get these sorts of people in the same castle together and uh yeah. <laughs> and, and and yes sure the the trappings and the garnishes and, and these sorts of things these you know might be uniquely british but the when you get past say the you know the that that dry humor when you get in you know past some of the i guess the vernacular or maybe some of the you know more european behaviors those traits that underlie those are can at least here in the west are universal to the point where it's like yes there is the older brother who wants to be in charge here's the sister who does this here's the uncle who's this way here's this person who's this way this person crying over here it it makes a lot of sense you know in a sort of yeah just a universal template for dysfunctional family nice nice that's good because i the sinking feeling did kind of wash over me when watching this movie again in prep for the show that this might just be a movie that doesn't translate well out with, you know, out with a, a British audience. And where I kind of thought, no, you're being silly, Duncan, was the fact that I thought the same about Dim Terrace. And I, I was immensely proud of the conversation that we had and the observations that we both picked up from that review. That I was like, well, maybe if you if you like Dim Terrace, if you can get behind that, then maybe, maybe a movie that doesn't have the the kind of violent <laughs> the 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 violent uh, proclivities that that movie has if you strip that out and and put everyone in, under one roof I wonder how that would play out so I'm I'm very much looking forward to this it's worth saying as well in comparison to the Ben Wheatley back catalog this is for the mo- well this is the least violent uh, by, oh yeah <laughs> by a country mile yes um so it is it's, it's kind of cool that we've ended up where we have now you know how we do things over here we jump out very briefly and we let the trailer for the movie play and then we get into the guts of it it's probably worth saying in advance very much like Free Fire this is a movie that is going to contain a massive amount of pagan symbolism um, so, or like conversations on Thatcherite policies and their impact on on the economy Um <laughs> You know, this is this could be a bit more straight down the line, and how I like to do reviews that are straight down the line is not do them straight down the line. I like to kind of dance around the review, pick up bits that I kind of like, and talk into those bits because that's more interesting than saying. And then this character falls out with this one and then closes the door, and then this one opens the door, <laughs> comes through, um, and yeah, you know, I mean, there's a time and a place for all of that. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a short break. You're going to hear the trailer for Happy New Year, Colin Burnstead. Which, if you got the joke when later on they're talking about the family, Bornstead kind of sounds like bastard a little bit when you hear the character say it, so it's the bastard family. Which, I mean, apparently originally the movie was going to be called Cunt. Um, oh. Which, yeah, in, the, in, like, in the, uh, some sort of abbreviation or, or some sort of kind of uh, roundabout entendre of sorts, but um, because this has got BBC money behind it, they weren't playing ball with that. Gotcha. So he, 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 he cleverly changed it to Happy New Year, Colin Burnstead. So that's what we're going to be doing. It came out in 2018. So there's been no Wheatley movie in two years. My heart is sad. Uh, um, he needs to get the finger out and get another couple out there so you can come back and we can talk about it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, right. We're going to take a short break. You're going to hear the trailer for this movie when we return. We are getting into our final Wheatley review right after this. This is amazing, baby. Your mum's going to love this. Hi! Welcome. Hello, Mr. Burstead. Uh, Colin. The old man. Hello! Can you believe this place? 
like a wedding cake. How are you? Happy New Year. Go through to your left, Mum. Oh, 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 my God. Oh, she all right, yeah. I invited David. Did you talk to anyone about that? It was meant to be a surprise. Oh, this is going to be a massive There's a reason I've not been back for five years. We've all done things in our past that we're ashamed of. You need to get your house in order. Let's call a truce on this thing. Help me. He needs to be talked to. You want him to leave? Kicking off over there. Are you trying to upset me? Yeah, I'm trying to get a reaction, yeah. It's no, yeah! Oh, no! I'm trying to work out when it became all about you! Something needs to be done. Don't think, act. What Colin did was like a public execution. Just want us all together. I know, but you're asking something of these people they can't give you. Do you think this is the end of it? No, this can't end. This is how they love. You never quite grasped the idea of family, did you? Well, it was nice chatting. Five, four, three, two, one! To the family. Let's get as far away from these people as possible. Well, our family does. You all right? Huh? Yeah, I just have to get away from there. It's quite intense in there, you know? And welcome back. So you just heard the trailer for Happy New Year, Colin Burns from 2018. This is directed by Ben Wheatley, based on a script by Ben Wheatley. So no Amy Jump involved in this one. This was a little passion project that he was basically doing to kill a bit of time, to be fair. Um, hmm. As you do when you're Ben Wheatley. I'll just knock up this thing quickly together, get some money from the BBC, make a movie. <laughs> Simples. Um, <laughs> this movie itself stars Neil Maskell, uh, we have Sura Don Donicky. Oh, I don't know, this is all goes on. <laughs> uh, Marvin Maskell, Nicole Nettlingham, Dun Ma. I should be able to pronounce that name. Dun Ma. Kicking? Nailed it. <laughs> That's not right. Uh, thank you. Uh, Bill Patterson. Love Bill Patterson, Scottish. So, yeah, I'm mutual love there. Hayley Squires. Mark Monero. Richard Glover is back in here as well. Great to see him continue his. Just like little appearances in, in those Wheatley movies. Uh, Sudia Butcher, uh, Vincent Abraham, and some other folks. Like, fucking hell, let's jump in. Charles Dance is in this. We should mention that. Yes. Uh, if, if ever there was a, a time to... I did tell you there would be a performance that would just make you smile. Uh, but you also have Sam Riley. So Sam Riley jumping over basically from the previous movie Free Fire to mm. jump back in and do some more stuff with Wheatley here. Which, once again, very happy when he brings his actors over. The synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb as Colin hires a lavish country manor for his extended family to celebrate New Year. Unfortunately for Colin, his position of power in the family is under serious threat from the arrival of his estranged brother, David. So, there is, to see in this movie, a lot of kind of toing and froing and weird kind of family interactions that maybe don't necessarily lead to anything, but at the same time are kind of really important to the end of this movie. Um, would be an understatement. This movie is chock-a-block full of it. Um, but essentially, like this says here, we have a family, um, a kind of disparate family, <laughs> a very eclectic family, which I think is kind of awesome. And some people that are like extended family who are all invited to spend uh, New Year at this rather large stately home. Uh, Colin, 
who is the, I believe, the oldest brother, um, is the one behind us. Apparently, they've had a rough year. The mother has been unwell, but beaten whatever she had. They never directly mention what it is, but kind of insinuation is, is maybe it's cancer. Um, she's come through the other side, so he's done this as a way to bring all the family together for one big, uh, as we would call it in Scotland, a bit of a rammy. Um, however, <laughs> um, there is... Uh, his younger sister has invited his brother David and David has been estranged from the family for some time and it's only throughout the movie we start to realise maybe why people are uncomfortable with David coming back and every revelation is another like oh fuck uh, sort of moment um, and it's basically Colin has assumed the the position of power in the family as the alpha and of course it's, it, I mean, we'll get into this, but it's evident for me that whilst he relishes the the position, it is just a like constant stomach ulcer for him, <laughs> like all the way throughout the movie. And uh, his brother David, who appears to be a bit of a colossal fuck up, uh, returns. The prodigal <laughs> son returns, um, and it, it looks like no one is necessarily on point with him. And the sad thing about it is a lot of what happens to Colin in this movie is not only his own fault but it's because he's manipulated by other family members to do certain things because they know they can play him certain ways um, this was made for this is essentially a TV movie kind of for the most part in that it's UK debut out with a very limited theatre run which once again I was there for for Q&A with Ben Wheatley and um, hmm was on the BBC and it played um, over over the Christmas period because <laughs> why not um, so you know it, 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 that's when it still exists so if you're a UK listener and you're wondering where can I see this movie the BBC iPlayer in the UK has it there it's been up since um, since Christmas so you can go back check it out it's up there it's entirety and if you live within the UK and you have a TV licence it is free so please go away and check out the movie. I don't know where it is stateside. Maybe on the BBC player over there. Potentially, don't know. Um, but if you hunt for it, if you if you if you look for it, it will appear. Um, it's not it's not a difficult movie to track down. No. Uh, the thing that like kind of caught me when watching this is, and like I said it just before the break here, is how a movie like this plays out to someone who's not British. Um. So that's kind of kind of where I want to lean in. First, what was your experience? Just like a, a kind of overview. What was your kind of the, the viewing experience of Happy New Year, Colin Burns to like for you? Was it a lot of I don't know where this is going? <laughs> like, oh. Why are we spending so much time with his family, or were you completely invested with what was happening? So, one of the things, Duncan, that I I love podcasting, uh, or one of the reasons rather that I love podcasting with you is how we manage to agree as much as we do somehow or another throughout all the hours we've reviewed films together we tend to find ourselves on the same page or damn near it but with this one buddy i'm gonna need a little convincing i'm gonna need you to help me through because this movie truly puzzled me my friend Uh, about halfway through it i hit the pause button and listen i i i want to qualify what i'm about to say next with the fact that i was i was invested in okay where are, are these people going to be okay it wasn't like i'm just like ah fuck it but i hit the pause button halfway through got on my phone and i checked to see if i was watching a ben wheatley film or if i'd been hallucinating at the start when i saw his name pop up on the screen in the credits (laughs) as director and writer 
And sure enough, this was the right movie right there in front of me. I could see Kill List's own Neil Maskell playing the role of Colin Bursted, or Bastard, uh, mm-hmm. Colin Cunt, uh, when the film ended. <laughs> you know, Cunt. yeah, there, there was Wheatley's name in the credits again. This was the movie I was supposed to watch, and I, I, I was a little bit... Uh, confounded you know I want to be respectful because well I'm, I'm you know even with one out of tens movies I, I can't stand I try to be respectful of those too but I want to also be as honest as I can be here when I say that this film at least films of this ilk aren't something toward which I find myself gravitating like I have a short list of movie narratives that I find myself resistant to wedding films we're gonna have a baby films coming of age stories and family dramas that don't turn bloody at some point or another. That's kind of what we're dealing here with my approach to the movie. Like, so Happy New Year, Colin Bursted is a soap opera. It's a family drama through and through with no other subgenres thrown in the mix. You know, I mean, comedy, mm-hmm. you know, it's got that that dry British wit to it. And that, I think, would be the part to speaking to your original question that American audiences might have a harder time with finding the humor in the right places uh but you know man i i I, buddy i couldn't believe this was a wheatley film now don't get me wrong this is not i'm not saying this is a bad movie for what it is the performances are stellar i loved this cast everyone kills it performance wise the setting there at i believe it's called pennsylvania castle is gorgeous Mm -hmm. i even had two different realizations while watching this that plucked on my emotions in something of a profound way and we will definitely get into those talking points later but I I guess Duncan here's the analogy I came up with to describe this film to the listeners as I see it so you know here's my best description of my experience with the film so I could say that I was waiting the entire time for this movie to become a Wheatley film as I know them to be which is to say I was waiting for that other shoe to drop that hard left turn into the heart of darkness and that, that doesn't come uh, I could even say that, you know, that it's it's a lot of bickering for an hour and a half, you know, and I, I but I, I don't feel like that's inaccurate to say. But I also don't want to do this film a disservice just because these sorts of narratives do little for me. And so here's my analogy, and I want to see if you track with this. So imagine a well-crafted still life painting of a nice looking or rather maybe, let's say, dysfunctional bowl of fruit. As you gaze mm-hmm. at this art piece, you think to yourself, that is exactly what a dysfunctional lemon looks like. That dysfunctional apple is the color it's supposed to be. That is a dysfunctional pear. Those are indeed dysfunctional grapes. This is a painting of a bowl of fruit, and this is what bowls of fruit are like. And so, still life paintings, they sell well. Over the centuries, they always have. The modern iteration of still life art is popular as can be which can best be exemplified by what we see on instagram or facebook when people post Mm -hmm. photos of their lunch or their office setups or you know general scenes from you know their days right still life from an artistic perspective has everything to do with the manner by which the artist chooses to creatively arrange the commonplace elements it's not about reinventing the wheel it's about experimenting with how to depict that real world wheel and so is that my favorite art form not not necessarily uh, still life paintings won't, won't likely adorn the halls of my house any more than family dramas are likely to be my go-to movies, but I see the value in these artistic works, and I'm not blind to that. So this well-painted bowl of fruit, in my analogy, is the well-written family dynamic we see here in the movie. This is a still life picture of a dysfunctional family, no more, no less. There are absolutely, truly awful still life paintings that even lovers of that sort of thing just won't like. 
There are family <laughs> dramas that don't appeal to even their ideal demographic. But as for Happy New Year, Colin Bursted, I think this does what it does quite well. And so this was just kind of how my head was swimming, Duncan, as I was watching this because I didn't know a thing about this movie. I don't watch trailers. I went in and I think to a to the degree that I know, you know, what Wheatley's done up to this point, I was waiting for this drama to take this hard turn, which it doesn't do. So mm-hmm. I think my expectations or at least what 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 I've how I've grown <laughs> How the way by which I've grown uncomfortable with Ben Wheatley, which is to say the way he makes us uncomfortable about halfway through all his movies, um, <laughs> this didn't come for me here, and I I think I I did not check out at all. I, I'm not going to say that because I have some I think I think some profound things to point out later. But my viewing experience was like once I was done, I was like, oh man, like where was that Wheatley signature dark turn? So that, that this was. Perhaps one day a second watch will do me better knowing what I know now. Uh, so I I know I've said a lot there, Duncan, but what 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 do you think? Am I out of my mind for having this approach to the film? No, in a lot of respects, you you've you've kind of analyzed it the way I would. It, it works for me in a, a kind of weird way, and you an observation you made, which is actually greatly uh, an apt one. For sure, is the idea of it being kind of like a soap opera. In fact, Wheatley himself at that CUNY had said he'd been approached after it was developed by the BBC to do like a kind of series. Oh, I would have loved this. to see what Colin does yeah. next. Well, the, this movie has maybe one of my like of if I had to do like a top five Ben Wheatley moments in cinema. Um, like shots, this movie has one of the top five, and it's the very final shot of Colin. Loved it, screaming. I loved it, uh, and Duncan. I kind of almost, yeah, like screaming "fuck you" mm-hmm. into the night, um, which I think is just, and the music behind it and everything else. I get chills just even thinking about it just now, um, and it's a culmination of everything that happens here. Yeah, this is a we. I think your depiction of a bowl of fruit is actually <laughs> spot on the money because, like, the families all come in all different shapes and sizes and, you know, creeds and colours and ages and and whatnot. And what I love about, like, specifically kind of still life painting as well is how if you start to look a bit closer... <laughs> well, that's not right. Why is that in the picture? <laughs> uh, who, who, who puts that there? Why did they, why did they take the photo at that angle? The lights now and, the, you know, like you start to... You can be critical of them without necessarily being critical of the content. You can be critical of the way it was designed, you know, set up, shot, um, without necessarily being critical of the content. And at, on the kind of the superficial level, the Burnstead clan... Uh, so to speak, are a lot of things that people would anticipate. It's like I say, it's the it's the mother who you know you know makes a big deal out of you know tripping over and falling and her legs <laughs> all rooting, but later on she's standing up fine. Yep. Um, like you know, what I mean, it's it's that sort of like, and everyone calls her out on it, but she's gonna she's gonna play this to the exact point where it no longer benefits her, and then she's gonna she's gonna do something. It's the it's the the dad who is a bit of a wheeler and a dealer and, you know, is pressurising his son who, for all intents and purposes, is doing the right thing in this movie by saying, listen, if I give you the money you asked for, you're just going to fuck it away and then you're going to owe me money and, you know, you're not going to have it anymore and where does that put us? So by me not giving you this money 
I'm doing you the favour and the dad's inability to understand what that is but it's the way that Colin handles everything in this movie that is patronising yes, yeah. and uh, abrasive and the family know that so they're all walking on eggshells no one seems really overly happy to be there in fact when everyone arrives they complain about how long it's taken them to get there four fucking hours in a car yep um, so no one seems like like from the from the beginning from the moment everyone walks through that door with the exception of the mum who's lifted through the door um, everyone appears with not the best spirits in mind they're already kind of appearing with this and I think that's that's the the key to the the interactions that the family have ultimately and if anything Colin's end journey is to be almost exactly in the same position as brother David yes. was in that he criticised him for for ultimately saying well fuck this fuck you I don't want to be a part of this anymore um, of which he was criticising his brother half an hour before in the movie so like there's there's so many different elements what I love about this is Every single character in this movie is completely three-dimensionally realised. I think that is very difficult to do in um, a movie that has so many moving parts in an hour and a half to do it. This is like, like every character is developed to a point that even if I don't know their exact relationship within the family, I know why they're there. And there's some jokes at times like, well, why the fuck's he here? Yeah, I, I love don't those. Him. Well, <laughs> yeah, he, well, he's the son of your parents' best friend, so that's why he's here. Or you can start to look into things, like small interactions that certain characters have that are explained later on as more detail comes out about the family dynamic. That, to me, is the Wheatley element in this movie, which is probably the only Wheatley element out with the kind of disparate cinematography um, at times. It's the only Wheatley element that is carried over here, but I would argue it's maybe one of the more important ones. So whilst we don't go down that, you know, gut-wrenching turn of, well, what the fuck's going on and why are we doing the things we're doing, the slow and steady drip of information throughout this movie that makes you question what you've seen before in interactions between characters, conversations um, and specifically attitudes um, that certain people have when they're speaking is developed throughout this movie the more we're drip fed and that's very much a weekly trait but it's probably the only one. It has like the cinematography here is it, it, I mean, they've got beautiful set, and Wheatley's always great at picking a set. Mm-hmm. But it reminds me a lot of The Office. Like, if you've ever watched The Office, that kind of fly on the wall sort of. We're just going to follow these characters around, and they're not, they're going to forget that there's cameras here, and they're just going to interact in a real world. It kind of has that feel oh. about it. Good observation. That, that yeah, yeah, it works for it. I think it really does work for because at times the camera is kind of it's moving a little bit when it probably shouldn't. But I, I, I kind of accept that. It's like we're we're being invited into someone's house or someone's home or on vacation with them um, and we're spending time there and maybe they've forgotten that we're in the room and as a result they, they all interact a certain way which, you know, the airs and graces between certain characters the way they start in this in this movie are completely different at the end uh, I kind of I love the, the bit where they are all on board with... Colin 
removing David from the pa- the family, mm-hmm. like really all on board. Like even down at the, the and you have to bear with me here because I, I like part of me smiles when I want to say this the statement when Colin gives the big monologue to David and then the camera moves around all the different family members, kind of looking very serious. And all I can think in my head is Home Alone. Uh, oh. Look what you did, you little jerk! <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, like, you know, you're going around all the different family members and they're, they're repeating their lines from earlier in the movie. Um, I, oh, I, that tickles me pink. Um, but, yeah, so you go around all the family members and then he leaves. And then within five minutes of him leaving, the family's like, well, now we, we're left with... We're calling. Yeah. <laughs> and... Is he really the guy we... Look how he went off. Was he too harsh? Was he... You know, like... uh, And what they don't know is, ultimately, this has happened because the dad... (laughs) Not that I'm defending Colin in this movie. But the dad sits down and says to him... You know, the dad is given the role of take control of the family, go and speak to David and get rid of him. And he can't do it. So he, once again... Goes to cut. So Colin yep. is constantly carrying the weight of everything yes. in this movie from start to finish, and it is no wonder he is on this hairline trigger. But that being said, he, the way he speaks to sit, there is a scene in this that, like I, when I watched this yesterday, I had to pause because I thought I was going to pass out laughing. Um, and this is what I love about like Wheatley's humour when the ex-wife of David is in the kitchen in hysterics and Colin like lifts her we'll go for a little walk and then basically locks her, Puts her in the closet <laughs> yeah and then and then and then when the the waitress comes in and speaking she thinks that Colin's done it for her own good like and not for any other reasons you're like it's when she says like that you walk in here so, but why did you come in she's like well it can be very persuasive <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Like, we as the audience see exactly what's happening there, but she can't. And she just sat in that cupboard and waited. It's, it, there are so many of those elements that I think, kind of linking back to your point, that are very much the Wheatley I remember from... Yeah. And this will be stuff before his run in these, these movies. But I mentioned right at the start, he did a TV show called Ideal for the BBC. Mm. It was a surrealist sort of comedy. Very, very, very strange. It's brilliant if you get a chance to watch it, but... Wheatley season is when things really go dark and strange um, and even through into Down Terrace where he's carrying a lot of that kind of tense family you know locked in for the most part one location and their interactions it's weird that he kind of comes back to do that again and he's bringing over you know in, in this movie Neil Maskell who we mentioned from Kill List who I think is just as good in this movie as he is in Kill List. I agree. And that is yeah. about the highest accolade I can give. Because uh, Kill List, you know what we think of Kill List, ladies and gents. We we love it. But <laughs> it's got a great ensemble cast here. Charles Dance as the, you know, the kind of transvestite uncle. Yeah. Who never gets to do his... He's, you know, he's, he's lying to the family to let them know that, you know, this is his last, going to be potentially his last year. I wanted to ask them. you about that. What, what did you think about that? Because, you know, he, that's revealed to us earlier. And so I'm thinking, oh, so this is the reason that they're mm-hmm. all there? What, or mm-hmm. d- does Colin know about this? What's going on? And then when he gives his speech at the end, you know, everybody's drunk and, you know, things have gone from tense to 
tenser to now loving, and he just says, "Oh, I love everybody," and I was like, "Oh, you didn't tell them what you were going to tell them." Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's because yeah, it, there's there's so many moments like that in here where, and I think that eats real life really, really well. How many times? Have you sat there and went, you, you know what? The next time I see that guy, I'm going to tell him. Oh, Duncan. <laughs> tell him. Who? My, my, my goodness. I, You know what? That scene actually reminded me of a breakup I had once where I was going to break up with this girl who was just this mess of a person and, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a hard substance abuser. And, she, you know, she's dragging me through hell. And I, I had it planned. I had it rehearsed. All the things I was going to tell her. And then finally, when we, you know, met face to face, I just politely said, hey, you know, it's it's over. Yeah. Well, wow. Okay. <laughs> Peace out, buddy. I guess I guess we'll. <laughs> that was it. I was like driving, driving away from the spot, going like, "What? I had so much to. Yeah. I wanted to put her in it, but I don't know. It just, yeah, it didn't. It didn't happen. I'm, I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> like, well, real well, life happens, is that way. Yeah, real life is that way. It's a series of psyching yourself up to do things which never play out, or the time never happens. Yeah. Like I don't know how many times I'm like, oh, I regret specifically not acting up you know as early on something because mm-hmm. i'm too cautious um oh. you know i think i, I genuinely think everything out and it is i has paid off dividends for me um in a lot of respects it's also meant that certain things i now look back and say you know what i wish i'd done that then i didn't because i overthought it and by the time i'd finished thinking about it you know that that ship had sailed um yeah and so so there there are all those moments in here but like all the characters are acting in such a way which like Colin is acting specifically in such a way that kind of makes sense but kind of doesn't make because we find out that he is fairly well off whatever he's done with his life he's made he's, he's made you would say the right choices and done the right thing and told the line to an extent and he's been successful off it. So successful that he's managed to rent out this country manor, um, pay for catering, pay for, you know, all the alcohol and everything, and, you know, invite his family there. So he's done everything right to get to that point. Yeah. And meanwhile, David has done, well, oh, well, let's get into it. His brother David, it's first revealed that he's maybe walked out on his wife. Yes. It's then later revealed that he walked out and his wife and their two kids. Um, it's revealed after that that he's caught having an affair and he leaves with this woman, um, abandoning his wife and two young kids, uh, to only leave that woman and then move to Germany and then return with um, his, his new German uh, girlfriend. Yep. And... Like, on top of that, the final reveal, uh, which maybe is why... In fact, even on top of that, he loaned his dad money, um, which his dad wasted, and is hounding his dad for that money, basically telling his dad, you take out a loan. And his dad can't, because they're on the precipice of losing their house 
because the dad's just a not a great investor, apparently. <laughs> you know, there's a certain point where you don't invest anymore, and it's usually when they're coming to take your house. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's usually the point where you're like, maybe I'm not good at this. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, like, a, a tea substitute seemed like a great investment at the time. Oh, what? There's plenty of tea. Oh, no. Uh, it was a bad idea. Um, <laughs> you know, that sort of that sort of idea, but the, the kind of final reveal... Um, from Colin's position right at the very end is that he made a pass at Colin's wife as well which you know is the kind of final slap in the face because everyone in the family apparently knew it before him and that's the point where my sympathy for maybe the way he's dealt with some of the family etc completely goes <laughs> like, mm. I'm 100% team calling at that point I'm yeah. like yeah fuck these guys yeah. because they'll accept back the guy who you know messed up his family left them in ruins and the, the rest of the families had to pick up the pieces um, you know as Badger and then trying to essentially put his dad in a position where they'll be made homeless um, and comes back to a family get together, knowing fine well it's going to cause a lot of issues with his German girlfriend. Oh yeah, um, he's just going to swan in there as if everything's okay. And here's Colin, um, done everything that is probably expected from the like. I wasn't. I'm. I'm. I'm a middle child. I don't know about you. Are you a middle child? I'm the you? eldest. You're the eldest. Yeah. Right? There is a huge amount of pressure that I would never want ever in a million years put upon the oldest mm-hmm. right the oldest is in a lot of respects it's the first run it's where you're supposed oh, yeah. to as a parent try and work out how to do things so if you have kids after that you've perfected things but as a result of that the first run is never the smoothest <laughs> we're right? experiments the, Duncan <laughs> you, well, you, they are the first kid is always that sort of right well we'll try we'll try this and we'll try it, but that didn't work, that doesn't work. So when they have kid number two, they don't try the thing that didn't work. They try the thing that did work because that's... It's, it's, it's everything in life when it comes to humans You try is trial and error. But as a result of that, the first child, I always feel, and I know, I, I know what my big brother's like, I know exactly what he went through, etc. But the, the first kid has an inordinate amount of pressure put on them to succeed. Right, which believe it or not, actually lessons for the kids after, um, mm-hmm. and that that I think when you see Colin, I'm not sure if he even is the oldest one in the. I'm going to say he is. I get that impression. Same here. Yeah. Um, that you can see it on the on the the worry lines on the face and the the constant state of stress that he's in here because he's still. At his core, he's trying to do the right thing. He is. Um, throughout this entire movie, he's just not very good at doing it. And David is the other way around. He David is. is the consummate fuck-up, but he knows how to play the game. He knows that all he has to do is sing a song or read a poem and his mum's putty in his hands. Um, whereas Colin would never be able to do that. Colin's way of showing affection to his parents is bringing the family together in a big fancy place. So f- kind of putting his money down... To, to kind of prove this is how successful I am. Like you, you believe it or not, guys, you did well. <laughs> like, yeah. Look at me. Look, I can afford all this. You did well with me. And then there's the the other kid who, um, the other son that they have, 
who is the exact opposite of that. But because he's the younger one, I think he might be the youngest. Um, mm. There is that parental thing. My little brother is uh, is never going to listen to this podcast, um, but my <laughs> little brother is the consummate fuck-up. He is, uh-huh. like, like, maybe not so much now. He has settled down, but, like, in his 20s, it was, like, every single thing he could do I could see from a distance it was definitely going to fail and you would give him a bit of advice and he would nod, nod, nod but still do it his way anyway and then it would fail and then he would go back and it all would be forgiven there would be like uh, a bit of help from the parental unit to to help him get back on his feet Mm. and then he would build himself back up to the next colossal fuck up Um, (laughs) and that's because he's the youngest he's the youngest My, my older brother on the other hand I think wouldn't be given such leeway because he he should know better yeah and that's i think there's that there's i think that's what makes the movie work so well for me is the the interactions that we get with the three-dimensionally realized characters all of them have this really like even down to the weird (laughs) the weird kind of cousin who is like, I know that guy's face from somewhere. Where do I know him from? And then you get this incredibly tense scene (laughs) with Richard Glover, who's fucking amazing in this movie. He's so good as as Lord Richard, um, who's constantly, for lack of a better word, mincing around the place, um, trying to fix things. And and that tense scene where the power goes out, and he's like that, I remember you from a rave. You sold me some mushrooms and pills. And they didn't work. In fact, I had the worst trip of my life. And it's just it's a big fucking tense scene. Yeah. Well, that and he's like that. Ah, but it's all forgiven. That's in the past. Oh, here's the lights on, by the way. <laughs> like, so she's back it's, it's the bits like that that I really like. Is this the epitome of what a Ben Wheatley movie is? No, because we've had contrary to to his claims in there, which he personally felt like all. All the Wheatleyisms were kind of in display in this one. I think they are on the writing to an extent, but I think the fact that you remove a huge part of the what I would class as the the existential mystery, which he has in almost all his movies except Free Fire, where there is a point where characters are really forced to look upon life or situations and and take it from not a macro level um but but can almost take it from a global level of where where is my part in this this is done in that same sort of approach but just done on a family level so these characters are questioning what their position is in the hierarchy of family whereas in all these other movies you know neil maskell and kill list is essentially for for all intents and purposes acclimating to that you could argue that the cult is um a form of establishment and that all the people that are involved with that uh have a place have you know a, a, an order very similar to work i mean you could argue that kill list is really about a guy trying to find a job um, <laughs> and ultimately the job the, the job that he ends up in is in, instead of like in an office job where you have a manager and he has a manager you end up in a cult where they have their place and their rituals which could be procedures in a workplace you can argue those cases you'd argue in the same breath that something like sightseers is about trying to find connection trying to find you break away from 
your your confines of how you know your life and experience the world and by getting a taste of the world the world corrupts you in such a way that you kill um, only to ultimately go back home um, bringing those new experiences in a way which hints in the movie that it might she might kill her mother <laughs> make it look like an accident um, you know or a movie like High Rise is, uh, is about specifically not only classism but how you know the, the, how the, the upper class or the well off uh, look down upon the working class how the working class might try and usurp that and those in the middle will probably survive because um, they're neither at the top nor are at the bottom or a movie like Free Fire is just about the complexity of trying to handle a negotiation of sorts with many different characters and character types when you look at them there's always that theme of trying to find your place yeah. within something or trying to get that understanding and that is 100% what Happy New Year Colin Bernstein is it's just done on such a small level compared to all of, all of his other movies and as a result of that I think it removes a bit of the dread um, sure so yeah. Duncan you said you had some things you specifically yeah. wanted to lean into and that, this is where I want to I want to hear what you have to say yeah you know what and you, you you have touched upon some of this and you've given me the perfect segue into it because you're, you're nice. talking about these goals of finding a place and so I want to go mm. back to something you said earlier when you mentioned that you felt that Colin now finds himself after that final frame. He now finds himself in the same place that David was at the start. So I want to let, let's go back and, and talk about the characters of David and Colin here for a moment. What struck me about mm -hmm. David is that despite his mistakes, he is really looking. Yes, he's cocky. Yes, he, you know, maybe he's showing up there to cause a little trouble. But in the end, he is looking for love and redemption. He knows he's messed up. He knows he has not been the best husband, father, or son that he could have been, but he's working to right these wrongs, which we see in the form of his apology to his ex-wife, such as it was. Uh, if I, if, it, if mm -hmm. it had been me, I would have said so many more things, but it was honest. The fact that he takes over the payments for his parents' house that they're about to lose and the song he sings to his mom, uh, to his mom, it's definitely some Hallmark Channel cheesiness there in that piano scene, but there's a sincerity in David's desire to redeem himself in his family's eyes as well as in his own, that's vital to see there. Like, every single one of us is messed up in some way or another. And whatever that mistake might be, no matter how big or small, we all stray from the path at some point in our lives and want nothing more than to be allowed to find the way back. And that's okay. That's what being human is. Think of the way online council culture doesn't allow for that navigation toward forgiveness. Like think of the way, mm -hmm. you know, a sin in someone's past is damned with fervent religious fervor, <laughs> fervent fervor in the court of public opinion without any nuanced consideration. These witch hunts that isolate a person from the social order, thereby casting them out. Like cancel culture is a phenomenon that has no connection to nor any understanding whatsoever of humanity. And so at the end of the film, mm -hmm. David sets himself back on the road toward a more loving relationship with his family, despite Colin standing firmly against this. And what hit me so hard about Colin was that it was his departure that allowed the family to introduce love and kind of fun yep. back into the, or not back into just into the festivities for the first time. Like the argument and the, all the arguments and all the bickering stopped and they just sang and drank together and 
it took Colin's removal from the picture for things to find their harmony. And Duncan, that made me sad. Like Colin's not a bad person. You mm-hmm. know, he was the one who organized everything so everyone could be together. Like you said, when you were kind of spelling out his character yourself, you made all the same observations that I, I had made myself. But sometimes, and this is the saddest part about life, you know, is that there are times where we find that we don't get to be the hero of the story. While everyone course, else yeah. is back at the castle singing, drinking together, Collins, they're on the highway driving home with his wife and daughter as, you know, the ball drops in his new year and he's, you know, he's with them. And then he stops the car, pulls over, gets out and walks toward the coastline and just yells at the water. Now, I I don't know exactly what we're meant to take from that final scene, but it made me wonder as I watched it, if there have been times in my life where I was the problem and my temporary banishment from a situation was actually the best thing for that situation. And my hope would be that there's a way back to love for Colin, and I think that the next time this family gets together, which I didn't know that this was originally supposed to be a series, you know, I, I do mm-hmm. hope that there is a way back for him if Colin will allow for it. And yeah, yeah. I think you, you're spot on with, with the element where, like, sometimes being, <laughs> sometimes being the the person that everyone leans on mm-hmm. is a, a disabling crutch oh, yeah. that doesn't allow people to move on. And Colin is that. Everything that goes, everything that is going to go wrong or everything that looks like may cause issue here is something that a character goes and speaks to Colin about to fix. He's the fixer of the yep. family, but as a result of that, no one really has the ability to move on. And it's interesting that he goes for... A run, and when he goes for a run and leaves the the house, and isn't there to be that crutch, that's when everyone starts to realise that maybe, maybe they could just bring back David. <laughs> like maybe, yeah. maybe we can just get him back and get the family back together and sit down and get a, a conversation. There, there is that danger that, like you say, that everyone wants to be the own their own hero of their own story, um, and if possible, a hero to someone else. But the other side of that is that sometimes through the best of intentions, what you think you might be doing is actually causing more harm. It's why that, you know, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yes, it is. Exists as, as a phrase because it really is. <laughs> How many things have been done in history which start out with someone with the best of intentions trying to do something? Oh, absolutely. It's a slippery yes. slope. It's a slippery slope because you, you start to remove the ability for other people to make choice and when you do that I, 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 I want to link something that you said specifically about cancel culture which to be honest with you like I see happen on, on a daily basis oh, gosh. it's not anything that, to, to be the weird thing about it is I I have a very strong opinion on how people should be treated and how people should be judged and that is by the fervour of their character now not necessarily about what they've done in the past, with restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think there are certain criminal deeds that you know m- might preclude being viewed in a particular way. Like, for example, I wouldn't I wouldn't make a conf- uh, convicted fraudster my accountant. No, you know what I mean. <laughs> like, it's not because I don't. You know, it's not because I don't like. I just I look at their I look at their past deeds, and those past deeds uh, maybe maybe influence uh, a viewpoint of you know I don't want them handling money. 
I might still want them to to do something else for me though, uh, sure. just not the bit where I know they're tempted to do something which in the past has proved. Yeah, to be I'll clink drinks with you, but you know, you maybe don't handle my finances. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make a you know uh, an alcoholic manager of my bar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Small things where where temptation is there, you want to remove that. I do also think though there's plenty of room for people to grow and you know and breathe as an individual oh, yeah. and no one is who they are i'm not the same person i was two months ago oh, like time changes geez. your opinions change um and you have to accept that exactly. so i think like rooting out issues that people have done i mean that's the colin's big issue here is is believing that david has not changed at all in the five years that he's been away or however long it is um specifically down to well once you're that person you're always that person and as a result of that you forfeit your seat at the table yeah of the family um and that's i think a lot of that is birthed out of colin's life <laughs> having to fix everything for everyone sure. and the quickest fix from to make this family's party go well is to remove david <laughs> that's the quick fix isn't it you just get him you uh you do what he did to uh david's wife earlier on you put that in a cupboard close the door and it's not there anymore and that's how he handles everything oh what's that the music's cancelled right so we'll just set up a new music system and um that that fixes that problem oh what's that my mum has a sore foot right i'll just get her a chair that someone can push her around yeah. in uh <laughs> you know this woman's crying this is going to upset the party i'm going to put her in a cupboard uh you know it is a very blunt approach to everything but that blunt approach to everything doesn't have nuance there is no nuance in there so when someone comes back and specifically says to him and that great kind of thing like that and you're very simplistic unnuanced way yeah that's what happened but there's more to the story he doesn't give David the opportunity to kind of explain that but in Colin's mind it's fixed they don't want to hear anything that muddies that picture it's it's very binary his decisions are all binary um, and I, I like that aspect I also know that's what humanity's like yep. like specifically now like even thinking there was a weird kind of joke about um how Ben Wheatley in the in the CUNY had encapsulated all the, the kind of nuance. Even there's a conversation in here specifically about Brexit. Um with uh was it Fran, the daughter? Um Colin's daughter, where the <laughs> where our where our I think it's the cousin uh, is you know is talking to her uh, trying to trying to get like oh what about this Brexit thing and then the camera pans away and it, it, it pans round she's basically like fuck Labour fuck the Tories who are the two big parties in the UK does that answer your question okay um, <laughs> and it's this like kind of it, it covers so many conversations that are in the zeitgeist of of Britain in this kind of small thing the, the fact that you know here's David who is all sophisticated and happy and kind of lazy fair and he comes back with this with this German woman <laughs> like you know all these different bits and bobs all these different elements that are in here this kind of melting pot of ideas yeah but you're you're 100% right Colin I feel sorry for Colin at the end of this movie so do I but yeah. all the way through this movie I think is Colin actually helping the situation by helping anyone? Probably not. <laughs> no, Duncan, is he, is he, I guess I got I got yeah. to cut in here. I, I found myself as the eldest at one point in a situation where 
uh, you know, and, and nobody, you know, I, who was wrapped up in this situation will ever hear this, but mm-hmm. the, the, the long and short of it was that I was wrapped up in a, a very <laughs> interesting situation regarding a piece of property and regarding the people on it and my decisions about what the fate of this property is, what would, I guess, uh, help or not help the people on it and including me who was mm-hmm. also on this property and uh, th- it came to uh, to a head where i had to make a unilateral decision for everybody for everybody's sake something that i don't like doing something i never want to be put in the position to do again but i had to make this big decision for a lot of different people to say i think this time is over and i think everybody needs to go their separate ways it was very stressful. It was crazy. It resulted in just a fallout that I couldn't believe. But now, this many years after the fact, everybody is better for it in large and exponential ways. And it was mm-hmm. like you sort of had to take that kick to the balls to your or, you know, whatever is the anatomical equivalent for a lady, you know, that punch <laughs> to their left boob uh, that, it, you know, a cunt punt, I think. A cunt punt. <laughs> OK, that's not an American term, but I love it. Uh, yes, you got to take you got to just kind of take it to for the betterment of everybody. And I think maybe Colin has that in his head of like, well, you know, sometimes there are certain decisions you have to make that are for the betterment of others. But and, and yes, maybe here and there that is true. But when you settle into that way of thinking where now that is how you live, where every interaction you have with family is about this, you know, has, has that sort of overarching mindset to it, then it can be blunt and destructive as opposed to something that is meant to be used once and hopefully never again, you know? Yeah. I hope that made sense. I hope that made sense. No, it completely made sense because, once again, it's the... What I love about it is the complexity of of everything. Like, families are complex. (laughs) Like, in a lot of respects, families... There's a reason where they say you can pick and choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Um, the reason behind that is when you pick friends, you tend to pick people that you um, have like a kindred spirit with, interest, sense of humour. Um, like I have, and it's been joked about before, I have a very small pool of what I would class as friends. Plenty of acquaintances, but a small pool of people that I class as friends. Now, the reason behind that is that even though I consider myself and always consider myself very much uh, a kind of insular person, um, which I know seems bizarre because I have a <laughs> podcast, um, you know, that doesn't equate, but, um, you know, I, I always consider my, but I am amenable when I speak to people. I am pleasant and I speak to people the same way I would like someone to speak to me. And that's just not, it's just the way I do things. Uh, there's an easy road when it comes to speaking to people and it's be polite, be attentive, um, and where possible, try and assist, right? That's, that's, that's a customer service in me that just has always been there, mm-hmm. right? But I have a small group of friends and those friends fulfill different kind of roles of my personality. Um, my best friend, uh, well, we played in a band together, so we have a, a common interest in music. Nice. And a bit of a common interest in movies, but not really. He's not a huge horror fan. I totally am. And mm. that's a big part of my life. But he has a sense of humour that is very much akin to me. 
Out with that, we don't actually have that much in common at all. Um, we're both parents. We have different parenting uh, kind of styles. Um, he has a, a a very kind of set way of how he lives his life, not similar to me at all. Um, I think, you know, we've never went down the political conversations, but I think if we spoke politically, I don't think we would agree much there either. Mm. But we don't have to that get in any of those realms because the things that we agree on or the things that we enjoy speaking about, even if we don't agree, are things that we're both very passionate about that we both have a knowledge of and can click on that. Whereas I have other friends that I maybe I only ever speak to about movies. Um, and the reason behind that is because they have exactly the same taste in movies I do, so I can cover that bit. And then there's other people that I would only ever speak to about family stuff and never speak to them about movies because I know that you know they have a similar approach to, to, to family life that I do or live in a situation that's similar to me or are best placed to give me advice on those things and that's weirdly my friends fulfill like roles but I can pick and choose those I can pick and choose my family indeed um, the two brothers I mentioned before I share next to I would say less than 5% of an interest in anything that they do really? <laughs> like, okay so, Okay. yeah Like I, I think if you ask my brothers what I did for a living very much like the listeners right now and listeners on podcasts under the stairs they couldn't tell me what I did for a living at all I know what both of them do for a living uh, but they would not know what I do for a living oh. because they've never asked so <laughs> like, so there, there is that like um, you know like I, I have I have quite a big extended family but I don't speak to any of them uh, I speak to my immediate family uh, so there's you know and that's through time I've just went like they're toxic I can't speak to them right yeah. you know chop the chop the there's, a, there's an analogy in here in this particular movie about uh, a family being like a body. Yep. Which I, th- I think is great because it's, they try and explain it twice and it's never really explained Yeah, well. it was hilarious. And it, both gets, <laughs> it gets cut off both times. Um, but there is that idea that if there is a like a diseased or damaged part of the body, you have to have it removed. Like That's the that's the, the analogy there. It's all try and work harmoniously, but you can't control every facet of your body. I can't control whether or not I'll get heart disease. Um, yeah. But I know that there are steps to take to maybe mitigate that heart disease or operations that could be done to help me. And that's that's the approach to family here. There are steps you can do, um, but you don't really have a say in much of it and you just kind of have to deal with it. Yeah. And that's why Colin's end scene is so kind of apropos of the journey that I've went through in this in this movie because by the end of it I I realised to be honest with you the family are a lot better without Colin being there look how happy they are now granted they are living in huge swathes of denial oh yeah um massive amounts that Colin can't Colin can't live through that Colin like he's a black and white sort of guy he's a real guy what he sees is what he thinks um and as a result of that is why things are probably never going to be great there for him and yeah, part of me wants to know if he'll ever come back to the family, but they've tried five years without David and see how that's worked. And maybe the family just need to live in that kind of eternal optimism without realism there. Um, even the way his dad approaches the fact they're going to lose the house. Mm-hmm. It's done as soon as he arrives. Uh, it's done straight away. Oh, yeah. He drags Colin out and he, he puts it under the, the premise. It's not of a loan to save the house. 
that comes out later, it's a potential investment that I can help with. Yes. So, like, I can, you know what I mean? It's like, it, it, chances are, if he said to Colin right at the beginning, uh, listen, we're going to lose the house unless you help out here. Colin may actually help out. Thank you. Um, I thought the same thing. But when he, yeah, when he went about it with this investment thing, I, I don't think even even David would have been like, you know, would have helped him again. <laughs> yeah. You know? Because he fell for it once already. But David's prepared to sign off the... The debt. Yeah, the debt, and that to me yeah. proves that, that that David hasn't actually learned his lesson. Oh, interesting! And that's the, so the danger, like, you, you, yeah, I think D- David hasn't learned. I think David is so eager to become part of the family again and atone for previous issues that David hasn't actually moved that much as a character at all. Um, I think if anything, he's the better fit for the family, though. I don't think the hmm. family want David to change. You don't Do you know think I mean? he's I changed? Think they're all. St- no, no. Oh, I, th- I think the, the way he's, the way he speaks to his wife, he's not regretful of anything. You know, you know what I mean. He doesn't like what he says. Okay. What ultimately, uh, to me, I it's probably the most honest he is. Sure, but he doesn't have I much to say. Think, like <laughs> he doesn't really have that much to say because I think in his head he doesn't see anything that he did as being wrong wow and then, okay i think we like, we're, interpreted we're, this different ways duncan i i, I like what ah, you're saying right. and it does yeah, yeah. okay go, go on yeah if you look at, if you if you look at all on paper david is the the relationship he's in with fran he's not honest in that either and you get that not fran sorry the the, the woman hannah from, whose name is hannah, she was you. cool he's though not, she's brilliant she knew she why caught, he was she there wants to, yeah, she wants to know exactly who she's getting involved with because she is fully aware that this guy's full of shit. And there were and, several times where she would implore him to, hey, go, yep, go talk to them. Yep, go apologize. You know, go yep. go make your apologies. So whatever he told her, whether disingenuous or completely meaning, you know, m- with with full meaning behind it, he at least said he's going there to make things right in some way. And she knows this. And she seemed she wasn't just the dumb German girlfriend. She was right no. there, kind of. Sort of pushing him she's to make things right. Smartest, she's probably the smartest character. Probably in this because yeah. she's the one that hasn't. She's the outsider of the group. She doesn't know any yeah. of them, right? Apart from David, and she's skeptical of David. Like David's initial conversation with his dad. Now he has the paperwork there, so the understanding is he's probably going to sign off on whatever was required, right? Yeah. The paperwork's there for him to help out, um, so he's going to be able to help like that. But he makes his dad jump through all manner of horrible hoops talking about loans and all the rest earlier on in that. Purely, like, this is why I don't think they, like, to him it's a game. Uh, to, to Colin it's not a game, to Colin it's his family and it's his life. And I don't think any of the family, like when you when you cut down to them, how many of them are actually realists? None of them. The dad is the, the kind of failed in, investor. So to speak, he wants to do all these investments that are going to all fuck up. Um, the mother is uh, like plays into huge swaths of of drama, attention the seeking, yeah, film. yeah, to, yep. get, uh, to get attention. The daughter um, didn't think about anyone else. No, 
in this movie out with I'll just invite David here for my mum knowing fine well that the mum has no interest as I'm saying she throws a pipe bomb in without taking exactly. any consideration that her sister-in-law is going to be there uh, who was previously married to this guy that was walked in she didn't take it so she because she has this fantasy of the perfect family uh, Charles dances Uncle Betty uh, wants the one final great family get together to announce that he's <laughs> you know he's dying yep. which is never going to happen because they have openly said all the family gets togethers never work and the rest of them are shades of kind of drunkards the the cousin um who arrives at the house and is instantly on about the rebellion of the lower class to tear down the establishment and all the rest Uh, you know like none of them are realistic none of them are realists the only realist in there is colin Colin. yeah and so duncan would you say that (laughs) i guess maybe what we're meant to take away from this movie is that hey despite uh despite the 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 shittiness and despite the dysfunction, you know, family is family. I wonder if that's kind yes. of what we're meant to. And and you know what? Yeah. And speaking to Colin, what one? I guess the kind of the last thing I have to say about him is that maybe it will take some time for him to be apart from everybody. For them, hopefully, best case scenario for them to realize. Well, I guess we can't lean on him anymore. We'll write ourselves, correct our limps, and get our get our other crutches, such as they might be. And then it might help Colin not have to be that role. So then maybe in a few years' time, they come back together and it's like, okay, wow, we are now playing different roles in this dynamic. And mm. maybe this can be better if we allow for it. Yes, this is going to be a shit show no matter what. But as long as we're willing to toast our drinks to the shit show... <laughs> you know, maybe we can be okay some as a people, family unit. I don't know. Some people like living in a fantasy. Like some people really like. You mentioned it earlier on. Some people really like the idea of something. Mm-hmm. Some people like to be to seem that they are the hero in their own story. Um, I think this is a family of people that believe that they are the hero of their own. Absolutely. Story. And yep. Call, yep. A Colin is Colin is unfortunately he's burdened with the. And once again, not a politi- like certain things this character does, I don't agree with at all. But um, he is unfortunately thrust into that because the family have put him in that position, and it's a position that, from a pragmatist point of view, is perfectly suited um, to his skill set. But in a in a, a kind of world that they occupy in of of kind of weird, it's constant optimism there's no pessim there's no pessimism really in the family dynamic they're, they're all kind of all living in their own little kind of happy little bubbles colin is not the guy you you call to solve those problems because he, he's he has a bullshit meter with him which you know we'll call it that he calls it bullshit whenever he sees it no one's allowed to and the sad thing about that is the the kind of penalty that comes with Something like that is that you are what I would call a fun sponge. Yeah. And that when you're in a room, you suck up all the fun and there's none left. And that's Colin. That's Colin as a character, uh, which is why it's so funny that he would organise the party. (laughs) Yeah. Because to him, if you like, his his way to, to, to have a party is just book a room and invite everyone there. That you'll get them drunk. They'll dance. I think he says that at one point. Um, they're all at each other's, you know, they're all at each other's throats just now. But they get a couple of drinks and music on. They'll all have a bit of dance and they'll stop bickering with each other. That's his approach to it. It's not. <laughs> well, maybe we should try and fix the subtle nuances yep. here of why he doesn't get to 
get along with B or you know try and break that down. He doesn't like his is just a very pragmatic, practical approach to fixing problems. He said it was blunt. And he's surrounded. Yep. Yeah, he's he's surrounded by in a world of dreamers, which his family are. They, they all have this the idea of the perfectly perfect family thing. They all have ways of doing that and their big way of doing that is not focusing on the issues that they have so it's, it's letting bygones be bygones right I know you've got a problem but fuck it we'll drink and we'll have a party uh, and whatnot. and in that world of dreamers uh, Colin has no imagination and that's the problem he, he can't see himself in that because all the evidence to the contrary dictates to him that this is a problem that needs to be removed uh, regardless how miserable it makes everyone else Um and like we, we should focus on this at the very end of the movie uh, when you know David returns David is ostracised and David returns and you know everyone's happy that he's there and Colin's like well fuck this uh, and he's getting ready to go and he has the big bloat with his, his brother where he you know it's laid out there that you know, I know you made a pass at my wife um, we've had to work very hard and that you start to see once again, this is why I love the, the the way the characters are built in this. We find out that the woman that is doing kind of table service um, is a friend of the family, but specifically dated Colin when they were at high school. Yeah. And the wife's reaction to her is like a bit overblown, if you know what I mean. Yes. But then when you realise that, well, at one point, the brother hit on her and Colin later on says, you know, we have to really work at a relationship, that idea that she's maybe there as a temptation invited by him, their relationship is terrible. Sure, <laughs> you absolutely. Know what I mean? it's, you imagine that's probably why they have a kid so far apart from the other kid. You know, this is how you keep a marriage together, you just have another kid. Um, yeah. See, I look into it, too much detail maybe, uh, but that's, that's how I look at this new baby, is that the way you keep them together, and, the, you know, at the end... He they leave and the family gets to reconciling and dancing and all the rest and you have this fucking incredible shot. It reminds me of see the final like one of my favourite final shots of all time and it was mentioned in the failed run opera Omnia uh, is Heat Michael Mann's Heat mm, mm-hmm. and at the very end of Michael Mann's Heat you have the scene of big spoiler alert for a movie that's what almost 30 years old maybe longer than that no almost 30 years old mm. um, a couple of years shy of 30 years old yeah. which makes me feel even older um, is uh, De Niro lying shot to fuck and Pacino comes over and grabs his hand and like there's this moment shared between the two as these two kindred spirits on opposite sides opposite sides of the law um uh, have a weird friendship as one of them passes on and Michael Mann does this by zooming the camera out over these lights on um, it's a runway and Moby of all people plays in the background and it is this every time I see it I I, kind of lose my breath a little bit I I forget to breathe when I see it because it is such an awe-inspiring shot for me I just I think everything about it is as close to perfect cinema as you'll ever get and this movie has a, another moment like that and it's this on the on the banks of um, the, the ocean the beach is below the, well or the sea uh, the beach is below them the you know the moonlight is out yeah. there's the kind of twilight of of, of kind of like places starting to wake up 
uh, in the background and Colin's standing with his wife and he basically says, you know, these people are toxic, like, we, let, let's get away from them. And then he screams, fuck you, <laughs> like, yeah. into the darkness. And it's happening while there's this powerful fucking score behind them and the cinematography's huge. And I'm like, I forget to breathe. Well, I, and I, I think it's, I think it's incredible. I think it's, it's a great scene. Like I said before, it's a, it's a, it's, that's how you finish this movie yeah. and you leave us with that and if there's a TV show that happens that's great I'll probably check it out um, I, I'd, I'd be more inclined to check it if Ben Wheatley's involved I get a feeling he probably won't be I would maybe writing it nah. and that maybe diminishes a bit of my return um, I'll check out the first episode or there something. we go but you know it's, it's that way where it's so weirdly far removed from where we started our weekly journey it is yeah, there there are so many elements in here that scream out of Wheatleyisms dotted around, and in, and and a lot of respects, this movie is the one that is maybe has the most moving parts, and that's weird to say because Free Fire had a ton of moving parts with the, the gun <laughs> scenes. This is like we spoke before last episode that. Um, not only do you get like uh, bullets as bullets, but words become bullets in that movie. Yes. Um, and this and this movie, weirdly, those those gun scenes being as intricate as they are are replaced in this movie with human interaction. Um, and I think that's is is no mean feat. Very very difficult to do what he does in this movie. I mean, is it? kind of swinging into closing out our conversations does that necessarily mean it's his best movie um, is there anything else you want to touch on with Happy New Year Colin Bernstead before we give our final final thoughts and uh, to see what has ultimately topped the list of our weekly movies oh you know I think that all the important talking points I had just in my head whirling around have been said I did mention yes I liked the character of Hannah I yeah. feel like I've yeah I feel like I have exhausted my talking points, my friend. Anna, like see when Hannah just decides that she's going to take a, a hit of that vape pen, which is clearly got weed in it, oh. and then <laughs> yeah. a couple of drinks, and then walks into the dance hall, plugs her iPhone in, and then starts dancing to Euro Rave. <laughs> um, that's when I knew me and Hannah could be friends. Indeed, um, yes. She she'd be she'd be a bad influence on me. Um, so <laughs> uh, right. If uh, you are new to this, what we basically do at the very end is we look at the entire catalogue of films up to this point and then we put forward what we think is the best. Now, Kill List has been topping the list, killing other movies from the list, uh, since we watched it way, way, way back. Kill List was movie number two. (laughs) So, at movie number seven, uh, several movies on, it'd be interesting to see uh, although I think we both know where we're coming in on this. Uh, so I need to ask you for the final time, um, what's what's topping the list then? Does Happy New Year, Colin Burns, the dethrone kill list or does kill list reign supreme? Oh, brother, it is 100% unequivocally kill list 2011. And Duncan, I want to take a moment here in front of your, your listeners to praise oh your recent episode of Chronicle where you conducted a short solo cast on Kill List. Your buddy, your approach to that review was nothing short of brilliant, and your listeners need to know that. If anyone out there skipped that episode of Chronicle because of the amazing discussion Duncan and I had here on Opera Omnia, please do me a personal favor and go listen to that Chronicle episode. Like, you impressed me often, Mr. McLeish, but 
This was just on a a, a different level, my friend. You approached. I, I I don't know what inspired you to take this route with this review, but I couldn't have been more just captured by every word, my friend. You really took this, and instead of rehashing, that's the thing that can happen sometimes when we podcast for too long, where you you know you review a movie on one show and then review that movie again a little later on another show and sometimes it's like well i don't feel like i have much more to add and the the task then becomes well how can i take a different look at this and examine this a different way and you definitely did that with this kill list episode on chronicle buddy i just wanted to let your listeners know that if they have not checked that out if they were like oh i don't know watson and him talked about it then that was a fantastic (laughs) conversation we knocked that shit out of the park but duncan does something folks duncan does something different here get on that he i'm i really like what you did there good podcasting oh i was basically inspired directly from our conversation so when we finished that conversation i was like me and watson did the definitive oh. <laughs> like, ain't nobody else touching kill no. this now you know that that <laughs> shit is done and put to bed and all the rest and then i realized yeah. <laughs> yeah i've got a chronicle episode to do on kill list and it, i absolutely like, i right before recording that episode went back and listened to our conversation mm-hmm. And it just started, you know, it just started making me think on elements we raised. And I don't approach it necessarily, the format's different, but a lot of those ideas are ideas that we are kind of, we're kind of throwing the football around, so to speak, of, of those during that recording. It's just, it's just taking some of them and playing them out to see if at the end of that, because I, I fully expected when I was halfway through it, I, I still didn't know if I... I fully agreed with everything I was saying and I didn't know if I would until I got to the end and see how it felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it played out that way. And like I say, through, mostly through the inspiration I got from, from our conversation. So the, the fact that you would say that um, is, is something that humbles me greatly because uh, this is the one part I used to really enjoy about you working on the, the old horror corridor was you would get like an insight into something that that you would go, you would start opening doors that you didn't realize needed opened, uh, yeah. and you get like a, a a breeze of new ideas that would flow through your hair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, thank you, thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Interestingly enough, and as not a surprise to any listener here, uh, Kill List still tops what? list for me. I think Kill List. Uh, yeah, no, you you just spoke about this movie for an hour, Duncan. What the fuck? Uh, Kill List is his best movie. Kill List is his best movie. One because I'm a horror fan, and it's the one that is most blatantly horror. Yes, yep. Um Two, it, it you know it evokes things like The Wicker Man, and we, we mentioned that. But you know it, the idea of. Uh, the, the the fact that I can revisit that movie and have every year since 2012 when I saw it for the first time and like come away with a different feeling or different opinion or pick something else out speaks to how much legs are on that movie and I, I, I never think I will tire of it and I, I honestly think I will constantly review that movie with a view to what have I missed I always think that I'm missing something, and I think uh, the fact it can do that plus still enthrall me as much as it does. I mean, it's that's not to say that anything he's done afterward is not as good. Uh, in fact, critically, uh, things that he's done since that movie have been far better received. Mm-hmm. But Kill List is a weird work of art, which I mean, 
like I've said it before, when we come to talk the next year when we do our summer series on podcasts under the stairs, expect me to bat hard uh, on the 2011 episode well, for Kill List. If, like, expect me to come in buddy, fully fucking swinging. If I'm on the 2011 episode, whichever one I, I, I'm I'm prepping now, and I'm just going to go ahead and assume I'm on that, right? <laughs> I, I'm on whichever, I'm on that That's 2010 that yeah, summer yeah. series. Okay, I better be. No, but uh, oh yeah, you, no, no. Once you're on board the train, you don't get off the train until you want off. the Okay, train. well, I, I can't wait. Well, if if by some chance I I land 2011 and kill this, oh, I I I will be there battling alongside you, battling the fuckers for supremacy. <laughs> <laughs> nice man, nice. Listen, we have one more episode to go after this. It's a kind of eulogy, so to speak, although less grim. Um, on on your time on Opera Omnia as a way to kind of close out this season um, and put at the very end one of those things that you get all great art house movies where it says fin at the end. <laughs> um, but, but until we get to that, uh, for the last time on the review episodes would you like to tell the people out there where they can check the absolutely fucking stellar work you're doing elsewhere oh thank you duncan well you can occasionally not as much as i'd like by the way my work schedule gets in the way of every freaking recording date we have but you can occasionally find me joining the wonderful folks of the horror cast where it's all killer no fillers stay scared love it when i can make it on that show but as for my main podcast Catch me on the Wattsy Party Horror Show. I host that with my good buddy Dave Z. I'm the Watt, Mr. Watson. He's the Z, Dave Z. And our horror show is split into three distinct acts for you party peeps out there. Act number one, we go over a list of the month's horror movie releases. In act two, we tackle a horror-related topic of discussion. And then in act three, we provide an in-depth review and analysis of a horror film of our choosing. The focus of our next episode will be on the... What was it? It's the... The Modern Werewolf Classic Late Phases 2014. So if you're interested in hearing Dave and me have fun waxing intellectual with our signature golden voices and high-quality audio and production, then then get on your podcatching app of choice. Search W-A-T-Z-E-E. You'll find us that way for certain. Once again, that's the Watsy Party Horror Show. If you get value from what... I say this every time, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart every single time. If you get value from what Duncan does under them their stairs then you will enjoy the party because we're cut from that same cloth in that we don't just want to regurgitate what happens in a movie and we don't just want to be like, well, I liked this and I didn't like this. There's a deeper look into the text that we all try to try, try to try to talk about and try to just to to examine and put out there for the people and, and over a mic and recording it. And so that's what Duncan does. That's what we do. And that's why we're such good friends. So Duncan, my goodness, oh, thank you for recruiting me to help you relaunch Opera Omnia. This brand new first season has been good for my soul. And even if not a single person listened, these shows helped you and I forge a friendship that crosses the boundaries of space and time and from the Pacific across the Atlantic Ocean over there. Uh, you know, and that means the world to me, Mr. McLeish. I look forward to season two of the show. I'll be listening to every episode. I think you've picked a fantastic guest host and director on whom your spotlight shall fall. Buddy, I can't wait to hear it. And I thanks for, you know, thanks for having me here. And my immense pleasure. Um, I can tell you right now that you will be a very, very, very tough act to follow. Uh, if Richard is listening to this, just don't 
just don't do it. Um, just like pull out now. Uh, <laughs> I'm only joking. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's been an immense pleasure chatting to you. To think that, but seven, eight months ago, eight months ago, we'd actually never recorded together. And um, now some seven episodes of this down, a couple of episodes on podcasts under the stairs together. I can't imagine a podcasting time period where I wouldn't have had you oh, as a guest. So likewise. It, does, it, it makes me immensely proud um, hopefully the listeners out there have enjoyed the run that we've done through Ben Wheatley in this season 1 of Opera Omnia season 2 of Opera Omnia believe it or not is coming right at the heels of this first episode should be dropping end of September uh, where we begin a 4 month jaunt into the works of Peter Strickland. Now, Peter Strickland is also a British director. I know what you're thinking. Duncan, bias. Yes, there is a little bit of that. Also, some of his projects have been produced by Ben Wheatley. I know what, what you're thinking, Duncan. Bias. Uh, you are right. That is right. That's how I operate. But I like to think that when I pick the movies, the guest kind of fits in place with that and Peter Strickland is a guy that Richard Glenn Smith from Hello This Is The Doom Show and his band The Gyrojets um, have you know he's aware of and I believe he's seen one movie but he's never done any of the other ones and I think by the end of it um, he is about to declare that uh, Peter Strickland is his new BFF we will find out how likely that is when we get to that however before we do that uh, myself and Mr. Watson will be back in the middle of the month for one final chat. Uh, it will be a very quick recap where we talk back over season one um, and we will revisit, if you remember all the way back on that first episode, I asked uh, my good buddy here to pick three words that he thinks would represent the journey of Ben Wheatley or best represent him as a director he gave me those three words we'll revisit them and see were they on the nose uh, would he change them to anything now is there anything he would add on top of that and all that conversation will be coming then but until then for the final time on Opera Omnia Season 1 The Reviews uh, this is Duncan McLeish signing off please take care of yourselves out there and we will speak to you next time <laughs>